Hey, this is Kiff Vandenhubel. You're listening to Duly Noted, and this is the pirate from Disneyland. Well, anchor now, you swabbies. What may I offer for these hearty hens? Each one an egg layer. Hello, and welcome to the Duly Noted Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Dooley, and for the next hour, I'll be turning pro into peer, bringing you all the VO tips and tricks from world-class voice artists, agents, and directors. Every other week, you'll be treated to the stories behind the voices that you hear in animation, commercials, movies, and more. And now, on with the show. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I apologize uh, for things being a little bit later than normal. Um, Actually, yesterday, when this episode was supposed to be released, was my nine-year wedding anniversary. So, uh, Amber, my beautiful wife, if you're listening to this, uh, shout out to you for being the biggest supporter of all the things that I do, including this awesome podcast. And uh, I could not be more grateful for the last 15 years we've been together. But enough about that. Um, today's guest is uh, a good friend. His name is Kiff Vandenhuvel, and he is a wonderful actor, voice actor, um, and honestly, one of the most inspiring conversations I've had for this podcast. Uh, Kiff and I have a pretty similar background, um, which I found pretty surprising uh, during our conversation, and I'm sure you'll catch on to that as well. But it was very cathartic for me to talk to somebody who uh, grew up in similar atmosphere to me and uh, is doing the things that I want to do. It was a great inspiration. It keeps me moving, honestly, any day that I'm recording auditions and I just can't bring myself to enjoy this thing called voiceover, (laughs) which is sometimes hard to do when uh, you're overly critical of yourself like I am. Um, I think back to some of the things that Kiff said during this conversation, and they really do uh, help me on the days that are difficult. So Kiff, thank you so much. And for you listeners, thank you so much again for your patience and for tuning in. Uh, If you like this episode, please um, subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, um, share it with your friends, and um, hopefully you get as much out of this as I did, because honestly, it was a great pleasure of mine to speak with my new friend, Kiv Vandenhuvel. So, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I spent, um, I do. God, this morning uh, I got up and I didn't have any auditions. It's been super slow. Um, but then um, went to E. Uh, cleaned the house a little bit. Did that, and then <laughs> uh, went to uh, uh, went, went, ran to Goodwill. Uh, dropped off some stuff because we've been doing the the tidying up with Marie Kondo. You know, nice. Um, that thing has been amazing. I'm completely amazing. I've my studio is completely redone. Consequently, like just just organized in a much better joy-sparking way. And then uh, brought some old stuff to Goodwill and then went to Pensy Spices and bought some herbs uh, for my wife and then went to E3 and was down there, downtown L.A. for a couple hours. And uh, that was amazing. And then I just got back. Nice. Yeah, I saw some of the pictures that you posted on social media. It looks... uh, Color me jealous. I live all the way in Cleveland, Ohio, so I've got a a pretty distant trip. (laughs) I know Cleveland well. What part of Cleveland do you live? Well, I technically live on the outskirts of Cleveland. I live in a city called Lorraine, um, which is about 40, 40 minutes away. Yep. Uh, so. Oh, Lorraine. I used to live, let's see, we were in Lakewood and then worked downtown at Second City in Cleveland. And, nice. then, and then I would drive to Detroit probably three times a week because that's where the union work was. So if I wanted to audition for, you know, radio spots or TV spots or kind of whatever industrial stuff, I had to drive to Detroit for it. Wow. Because uh, we didn't have, you know, recording capability at home, you know. None of that's No one had any of that. Yeah, sure. How, how long ago was that? Uh, 2004, 2005. Oh, okay. So, what, 10, 12, 14 years ago, I guess? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, so I know, you know, I know, dude, I mean, I was in Toledo, Ohio. I really is when I got started in voiceover, truthfully. Wow. Uh, yeah, starting in Toledo. My ex-wife was at graduate school at Bowling Green. So uh, when we moved there, 96, I guess. So I was in Toledo, Bowling Green proper from like 2000, from 96 to, I finally moved to Detroit in 99, I think. No, 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 got divorced in 99. So I moved in 2000 up to Detroit. 
And, wow. then, um, and then Cleveland, I started teaching at Second City in Cleveland uh, probably, yeah, 2000 as well. And then that. So. Now, what were you teaching at Second City? Improv. Oh, nice. You know, yeah. I kind of I kind of read a little bit about that. It was interesting because when you replied to me in my email, I was like, oh, shoot, I haven't done as much research, but we're going to get this done. So <laughs> I did a quick IMDb and I saw your your um, improv history and, of course, watched your reels and all of those things. Now, oh, it's kind of it's kind of funny to me. Uh, how long was it after you started doing improv teaching and things like that that you ended up moving? Because I, I believe you now live in L.A. or in that, yeah. you know, yeah. roundabout. So uh, how long ago was that? Boy, let's see. Well, I mean, I started doing improv when I was an undergrad in in college with a group called River City Improv. And that was, I started, well, in college. So like in the early 90s. And then, you know, and then, and and then it kind of went away. And then second, when Second City came to Detroit, came to Detroit in like late 90s, by that time I was back in the Midwest, I'd gone down to work in East Tennessee um, on a television series called mm-hmm. Christie for CBS, where I worked crew. Okay. And, and, um, and then, you know, my ex-wife wanted to do graduate school at Bowling Green. So that was what brought us back north. And when Second City opened up there, uh, I started taking classes and very promptly, like auditioned, got cast as an understudy, the touring company. And uh, the benefit of doing that was of doing the Turco understudy was you get free classes, but the classes were so popular, they would never... There's never any room. So Rico, the producer was like, Hey, do you want to just teach? I was like, <laughs> it's like you dude, he's like, you know, you, you know, improv, you know, you're, you're cast, you're part of our company. Um, why don't, why don't you teach? And then, you know, so I started teaching and I haven't really stopped ever. I mean, I've been teaching improv since, yeah, I guess from like either 99 or 2000, to still to today, I have a class tomorrow night at Second City. I'm teaching voiceover at Second City now, but like um, I still teach improv and stuff and improv, uh, voiceover improv. So like bringing the skills of improvisation to voiceover uh, is something that a lot of is, you know, called for in a lot of commercial, a lot of animation. So trying yeah. to bring those skills together. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you say that too, because I mean, just given given life experience outside of acting and, and voice acting and things like that, um, I, I found in my own life the best way to learn something is to teach. I mean, it's I'm yeah. kind of I live by the trial by fire kind of thing where you just jump both feet in, and if you fail, then you just learn from that too, you know. Same. And uh, you know, I I've been fortunate enough to teach music to to young children, uh, specifically with. Um, with special needs, a, a difficulty learning from the standard way. And, and I oh. found that I have learned so much more about music yeah. by teaching these children than I ever did in high school or college or even my own personal experience. So yeah. that's, I bet that was amazing. Now, you you mentioned uh, bringing improv into the voice acting world, and that's kind of like the common thread between everybody I've talked to about voiceover. Um, whenever I ask them like the golden question of, uh, you know, you hear it in every voice acting uh, podcast or interview, like what advice would you give to aspiring actors? The number one thing you hear is take improv. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is? Um, a couple reasons. What I learned in improvisation both being a, a performer at main stage in Detroit and writing in it is that it reinforces the idea that your ideas, your, your ideas are disposable. Um, mm. when, when you, and I don't think everyone carries this particular perspective, but it's very much mine. You know, when we, when I started at second city and you start working if you get on stage a bunch, if you get out a bunch and an audience stares at you making stuff up and sometimes it works and more often than not, it doesn't, it reinforces the idea of like, I'm going to take shots on goal. That's kind of the expression my wife and I use all the time. Plus it was hockey town, right? So like, <laughs> so it's like, it's shots on goal, man. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to connect to an audience. I'm just trying to connect to a partner. And the more I do it, the better I get at it. So like taking those improv classes really informed and then consequently improvising a lot, really reinforced the idea of like, my ideas are disposable. I'm a creative 
collaborator and the director's going to go, no, nah, not so much. Or dude, I like that. Let's explore that. So like one of, that's one of the things that, that improv teaches you is like, don't be afraid to take a, a risk and make a strong choice and explore where that could go. Um, yes, it allows you to try to be funny. Yes, it allows you to kind of, you know, loosen up. I think that's part of it too. Uh, but, but I think where it helps me in my, in my commercial work in particular is like, I, I look at a piece of commercial copy, a radio spot, and I, I, I try to improvise a whole bunch if there's room for it in it. Meaning, let's say there's a piece of copy and it's, let's say it's for Lexus and it's a guy. And the guy says, boy, you know, I just got this new Lexus and it's such a comfortable car. There's nothing better than my Lexus. And and you hear that what I just improvised. Sure, <laughs> yeah. And you say, oh, well, that, that sounds pretty stilted and, uh, and, and very much like delivered to the minimum system requirement of what the client wants. So I'll look at that copy and go, okay, I get it. I get the gist of it. Do I really need to be beholden? to what that copy says, or can I make those words my own? And I'm not going to re-improvise or recreate the spot and go, you know, I, I've looked at a lot of cars over the years, and at the end of the day, I just find that a Lexus just kind of suits my taste better. It's not that. I'm not completely rewriting the copy, but it's much more about just going like, dude, ah, what can I tell you? My Lexus is incredibly comfortable, and I love driving it. Uh, I, I mean, I changed the copy there. But, like, but understandable, yeah, yeah. You know, like you put the stammers in, you kind of, I'm a Detroit Pistons fan. And back in 2004, when Larry Brown was the coach and they were making their run, they won the title, you know, Rip, Rip Hamilton would always say, if it ain't rough, it ain't right. And, uh, that's why they would always win and <laughs> win and, you know, win in seven rather than win in four. And, and I really like that idea. And I think the same is true in your commercial reads. If it ain't rough, it ain't right. Use improv to help you make it rough so that you stammer a little bit and all that stuff. It just makes it sound more believable when it comes to animation. And I've not done a ton of animation, but the animation that I've done has been really great. And, uh, you know, my friends who are in animation and work, you know, like a guy like Fred Tatashor, for example, is like, dude, you know, the improv stuff is so helpful because, You'll you'll be cast as a session player. You might not know what you're going to be doing. So, you know, you go in there and improv helps you on the fly quickly create characters and bring life to the one or two lines that's on the script, as well as inform your acting choices. I mean, improv is about acting honestly. And that's the other part is like I think it, it really helps you. Improv makes you a better listener, and consequently, you respond more honestly to stuff. And um, I don't know. I mean, there's there's so many benefits to to improvisation, not only in in this work, but also just in life in general. I mean, we improvise every day, all day. I don't know what I'm going to say in in you know 45 seconds from now. I'm improvising everything that we're doing here, but it's having the confidence of of moving forward through life and listening and reacting to situations. And then when you create a false situation, like, okay, I'm the pilot of the millennium Falcon. How can I improvise truthfully with these words? Uh, that's, that's really where the, where the skill set comes in, where you keep yourself from freaking out. Yeah. I, I love everything you said there. And initially when you, when you started off with this idea, uh, it, it it kind of clicked with me, especially because I, I tend to bring everything back to my musical background just because I'm new to voiceover, which if I didn't mention that, that's kind of why I started this whole podcast to begin with was, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in surrounding yourself with people who uh, inspire you to be better. And I couldn't think of anybody better than the professionals out there actually doing the work. Sure. Uh, so when you had said that, it reminded me of something my dad said. I, when I was five years old, I started playing music and he told me, um, I, I kind of excelled when it came to, um, like producing, uh, production work, uh, orchestrating the whole album or the whole song or whatever. I'm, I'm pretty good at playing an instrument, but I'm much better at telling everybody else how to play a part that fits. Yeah. And he constantly told me, don't be married to your first idea. Yeah. L like, like allow yourself the freedom to say, yeah, what I did was good. Can we explore something better? And I, I know in my own personal experience with my improv background through, uh, you know, high school drama and into, into uh, college acting and things like that. But this idea that it's not a personal attack when someone says to you, well, let's try something different. 
Yeah. It's not to say what you just did wasn't good. It's just that there's more there to uncover. And uh, how often in your career do you find yourself going with the second or third take as opposed to the first idea that you maybe thought was perfect? Oh, man. That's that's a, that's a hard measurement to really pin down. Yeah, I mean, sometimes... More often than not, it, it's not the first take. More often than not, it's the fifth or sixth. But sometimes, sometimes you don't have the luxury of time. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, I, I do a lot of you know rule of three. I do a lot of you know ABC reads. Um, I think that's helpful. I mean, I did an audition today for for scratch work on a on a um, on a on a promo, and you know, it's a very dramatic read, and it's like this, and it's like this, and then it's like this. So like, <laughs> but. Uh, it came last minute and I was in my car and I was far away from my studio and I had my recording equipment and it was like, please send this as quickly as possible. So I wanted to make sure that the quality's there. Um, but I also want to make sure that I'm happy with my read and I don't want to, my, you know, yeah, sure. my P's popping. So, um, so, uh, you know, my first take, my first take was great. My second take was different. I make a point to like, if you're going to do like, like, uh, I got to circle back to something that you just said. I'll put a bookmark there and come back to this moment. But like, like I, I think it's important when you do a rule of three that, or a series of three or like an ABC take, you'll hear mm -hmm. different people refer to those things uh, that you always make sure that your ABC takes have some variety so that you don't just go, um, you know, drive a Toyota, drive a Toyota, drive a Toyota. Now I gave a little bit of different inflection on it. And they're a little bit different, but that's not nearly enough to justify three takes. Right, right. You know what I mean? So, like, your job is to go drive a Toyota. Drive a Toyota. Drive a Toyota. So, like, I'm giving you – if I'm going to give you a series of three where it's like I want one dramatic or I want one flatter or I want one that's more rich or more dynamic, that I make sure that I give you real options. And, um, you know, a director, a casting director – our person is going to, you know, respond to, oh, wow, that person has a lot of variety. Oh, that yeah. person is, you know, and it's still coming from an authentic place. It's still coming from my core voice of who I am. But uh, it just shows, oh, he's he can be this. He can be this. He can be this. And it's nice to have that uh, that reflect in your work. Um, circling back to something that your father said or about that, uh, about collaborating, that my wife worked with a director named Chris Bays. Um, in at the Idaho Shakespeare Festival, they were doing uh, 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 comedy of errors. And the first day of rehearsal, I, I've stolen this and used it for every show that I've directed afterwards. And he said, "Look, when you come into rehearsal with your ideas, he's like, I don't want your good ideas. Don't bring me your good ideas. Your good ideas are precious to you. That's your sitcom. That's your comic book. That's your graphic novel. That's your monologue. That's your that's your one man show." That's not what this space is. This space is a collaborative space, and you're going to protect your good idea. I don't want that. It's not something that has any value to me. I want your bad ideas. Bring me your bad ideas. Bring me your disposable ideas. Bring me your stupid, your goofy, your ridiculous, your over-the-top, the stuff that you have nothing nothing uh, attached to so that we can all grab it and hammer it and cut it in pieces and dice it and make this beautiful, amazing group effort that we all made together rather than your precious idea and her precious idea and our precious idea. And then this, this Titanic battle over whose idea wins. You know what I mean? Oh, so for sure. I think that that's a really valuable way to approach and I think improv helps reinforce that notion um, along with bringing that to your auditions. Like, I think that that's really important, not only in animation and video game, but like in freaking uh, e-learning or audiobooks or IVR, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, it's important that you bring you, you bring uh, your your relaxness to it, your, you know, uh all that kind of stuff. And if it's too cleaned up or too, you can hear it. You can hear the tension in the voice of trying to get it right. Yeah. And, like, and don't worry about getting it right. Just get it done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I just wanted to say it's kind of funny because uh, I find that uh, when it comes to a voiceover career, uh, it takes a self-starter to really 
succeed or to really thrive in the industry, somebody who's willing to like take charge. And I think the the flip side of that is that somebody who generally speaking is ready to take charge is also hesitant to let go of their creative endeavor, whatever that may be. I, I'm reminded of this podcast itself uh, as it is kind of my baby. It's something that I have put a lot of time and effort into, but in all reality, it is subject to whomever I bring onto the podcast yeah. to deliver content that I have no control over. I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what any of these other um, amazing talents are going to say. I just trust that they are going to have the best interest in mind. And collaboratively, we create what I believe to be something that brings value to people's lives. But yeah. it, I think that, I mean, if I'm speaking you know, plainly, that's probably the most difficult part for me when it comes to things like auditioning. Um, when it comes to things like, especially when you land the job and you're working collaboratively with a director, it's hard for the type of mentality it takes to succeed to also then release the control and say, yes, I take part in this, but I am just a piece of that puzzle instead of I'm, I am the head honcho, you know, the difference between being like a director or the, the client who gets the final say and just being somebody who is grateful to be a part of the project itself. Man, uh, you you get to define the kind of the kind of artist you are. And like if you feel like, you know what, my my vision is uncompromising as it approaches this particular McDonald's spot. And even though that seems dismissive, uh I, I know people who are that way. And it's like, listen, sure. man, you know, uh, I take I take my skill and my work and my choices very seriously. And even if it's loose, uh, I still don't want to be represented on the, you know, having the spot run nationally on, you know, <laughs> you know, 400 stations across the country. And I sound like a jackass, you know, it looked mm -hmm. like people who are like, you know, I've. I, I'm 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 pretty much I, I consider myself a pretty like good dog when it comes to that kind of stuff. But there are some artists who are like, no, dude, you you can you can give me that direction, but that direction doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there's other people who are like, how do I don't care? It's your your name's on the bottom of the check. Um, but and so it really depends on what kind of a what kind of a performer you want to be. Well, you you're an artist. You get to choose how you. Jerry Seinfeld says about stand up that you know no one the first time you step on stage even as a as an open micer no one is looking at you based on your IMDb credits your experience level how many places like literally it's ladies and gentlemen please welcome this comedian x and so and it's like now you are a comedian it's it's not like oh i've got you know four shows under my belt so this means i'm a journeyman no man you get introduced as as one and it's the same thing in voiceover man you book a job or you audition for something you're presenting yourself as i am a voice actor so yeah. you get to define the kind of voice actor the kind of actor you are and if and you know and it's not about being difficult it's about being you know, uh, or, you know, collaborating. Some, some directors are not very good collaborators and some are amazing and you'll run into the entire gamut. Um, and it's, it's, you know, trying to figure out what's the best way to be. Um, I've discovered that like there's, there's value in, there's value in going into a session and someone gives you a suggestion. You're like, Oh, that's interesting. I'll try it that way, certainly. Um, but I have an idea. What if I did it X and so in this way? The the reaction is often met with great. I would love you to collaborate in that way. When yeah. I was doing when I was doing Bioshock Infinite, I played Comstock in in the uh, in the game, and you know I remember doing a session for for Ken. I was in here in Los Angeles at Technicolor. He was in Boston at uh, at. Take two interactive at 2K, but irrational games. That's where he was at. Okay. And uh, so he's in, the, we're in an ISDN session. So we have the ISDN connection. And then there's a Skype session going on at the same time. So he can see me and I can see them. And then I've got two microphones. So it's in stereo pointed at me, two 416s. And then I've got lavs that are uh, clipped to the bill of a baseball cap, a right and a left. So I'm wearing <laughs> that. And then the cable's running down my back. And, um, and then I have one headphone for the Skype and one headphone for the talk back from the studio, from the booth. And I mean, like the whole thing was very disorienting and very challenging. And I'm trying to do 
like Comstock's death scene, and it had been animated already. So I had to match my Mm. voice to what had been established. And we're literally trying a whole bunch of different stuff. And he gave me a note. He was like, what if, what if Comstock is like, I don't know if you've played the game, but like, you know, we're trying to figure out what Comstock is going to sound like. And he's a pastor and they had made a choice before that they wanted to try something else. So I'm trying this. And then he was like, what if he sounds like he's got can the stuff he's saying is so horrifying. What if his voice is like cancerous? And like, at this point, I had not seen any script. I hadn't seen any of the any of the 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 um the audio logs. So I really didn't have any reference whatsoever for how bad Comstock is. It's just this scene at the birdbath. Oh uh, yeah. So I'm doing, you know, I'm talking like this. I'm doing like a Tom Waits thing and I'm yelling <laughs> like Tom Waits. And like I just feel like, you know, we get to the end of our session. He only had an hour and was kind of like, all right, well, all right, thanks. You know, and the session ended and I was like, oh, you know, did I blow it? Did I just choke? And we had done six sessions. We still were trying to work the same scene. Wow. Two months, two months go by. And then my agent calls me and she's like, so Bioshock wants you. They want you. Uh, Irrational wants you in Boston tomorrow. Um, can we get you on a plane? So I take a red eye and fly to Boston and I, I'm, I work a shift at Disneyland. I get <laughs> drive to the <laughs> airport. Fly to fly to Boston, and they give my room away because that was, you know, like it was. <laughs> I got picked up at three o'clock in the afternoon, and I go down to to a rational, and and meet Ken, and we go in the whisper room, and he goes, you know, do you have anything you want to say before we begin? We're going to work this scene, and I said, you know, I've been thinking about this ever since that moment where you were like, hey, what if this character is like Harrison Ford in the Mosquito Coast? And I was like, that really resonated with me. And he literally like he just lit up and he was like, I yeah, I love it. I love it. He's like, you got an idea. I want to explore it. He's like, my favorite part of this entire process is collaborating. I want you to bring ideas to me. And like I was such a fan of the Bioshock franchise and was so excited to be part of a video game and all this other stuff that I was and was so accustomed to being a good dog and waiting to respond to what was offered to me and to take that direction first that I wasn't thinking from a standpoint of what can I bring as an artist that will allow the director to shape it. Does that make sense, that distinction? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Long way around the story to tell you that story, but but like it ended up being – it ended up making the session go so much smoother and we crushed it. And then we did all the audio logs and we were done in probably two hours and it was amazing. But like it was it was about me stepping up to the plate and taking ownership of the role in a way rather than saying, oh, well, your voice sounds so nice. Let's have you do this and say, all right, well, whatever you want. It's your money. It's like, right. Take ownership. It's your character. It's your reputation. It's your it's your real. And if you want to do this work, you've got to rise up to say, this is what I think about so and so. And it might be wrong. That's okay. That's why I'm here to collaborate, but I'm bringing something. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like going to it's like going to a dance and then waiting to get chose. Mm-hmm. Like stand up, go over the person you want to ask to dance with and dance with them, you know what I mean? Bring yeah. something. Otherwise, you are just going to fade into the background. Well, and uh, so there's another voice actor that I, I follow pretty uh, adamantly, uh, Crispin Freeman. I'm not sure if you're familiar oh, with him. Yeah. Oh, Crispin, yeah, awesome. Oh, man, such such an inspiration. And uh, he often talks about this idea of uh, whoever is casting you or even just looking over your auditions, they don't always know what they're looking for. A lot of times they come into this just hoping somebody will be brilliant and and show them what they want. And uh, I kind of gather that from what you're saying is like. So coming from like a creative aspect, I I just submitted several auditions myself and every single time you instantly think, well, maybe this isn't what, maybe this isn't what they're looking for. And you have to like push that back and realize that you're just there to do your best work and put yourself into it in the instance that maybe you are exactly what they're looking for. And if you're not, then you just submit the next audition and... and with the mindset that you could be the thing they're looking for and, and be a part of that creative process rather than doubting that. Who, you know? Like 
who cares what they're looking for? What right. they, they told you what they need. So you bring what you do based on the specs that they told you what they need. And then, and then they'll figure it, they'll find, they'll find the right choice. It's like going to a, I mean, the, the image in my head now is like a, is like this is going to a fancy Italian restaurant and like you, you could be the chef trying to anticipate what, what boy, what are my guests going to want tonight? <laughs> yeah. It's an Italian restaurant. I know they're going to want Italian food, but I'm going to make chicken Parmesan or I'm going to make veal Parmesan. Or I'm going to, but at the end of the day, you're going to, you know what? They're going to come to this restaurant because I make fantastic chicken Parmesan. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think. I think all you can do is interpret what they're asking for. Give it your best shot and be be you. And and you know, and that doesn't mean that you do one take and that's it. But like you you definitely try to figure out what they're asking for. But if you're trying to anticipate what they're looking for, you'll drive yourself mad. Sure. It, it's, it's it's just it's it's an unknowable thing. What you're like it's it's interesting like. I'm learning so much about about animation and video games through through adjunct uh, fields. Like I I've been doing promo for for IFC for the past two years, and and mm. one of the things I did for them for my first audition for IFC was for Funny or Die TV, and the breakdown said we're just looking for the world's worst voice actor. We think that would be hilarious for our promos, <laughs> and, and and like that was it. Like it was literally that's it. So. I thought, you know, well, what's what's my version of the world's worst voiceover artist? And I decided he's he's eating while he's reading. Um, and can, can you the, give me some of that? <laughs> yeah, and the and the the height of eating something that's like what's the most flippant thing? So I had a bowl of cereal, and I did I did two reads. I was covering myself. I did one read. It was really flat, and then my second read was straight up reading the exact same copy, but reading it through a mouthful of cereal. <laughs> and I booked it. <laughs> and that that was the producer was like, dude, he was like, it, it it made us laugh out loud and everybody got it. And we're gonna do some reads with you eating through cereal. So I went and got a bowl of cereal. We did it. <laughs> and of course they didn't use it. Of course they didn't use it. It was it was distracting. It was crazy. It was hilarious, but like, you know, I uh, but but I got the job. Yeah. So like it was it was a bold choice and it was it made people laugh and it wasn't about winning. It wasn't about what's going to air. It's about what's going to what's going to separate me from from my competition. Yeah. It's going to be the thing that, you know, that makes them go, hey, we, let's call this guy back. You know, he's got mm -hmm. an idea They're 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 looking for people with ideas and not that you nailed it. I mean, yeah. I had Corey Walgren on my podcast and she told this great story of like, I did this audition and the character was a woman who like, I didn't know who the other character was, but who she's talking to. So I decided, well, I'll make him, I'll make her attracted to him. So it'll be kind of sultry. And they, in the callback, they were like, we loved your read, but you need to know that the character that you were talking to was not a lover, but was your brother. <laughs> and like, no, 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 it's okay. We love what you did. It just wasn't correct, but you didn't, couldn't have known that. Um, so, uh, let's, let's do it again. That's why we have the callback. But the point is it was a strong choice. And yeah. that's really one of the things that you want to really flex your muscles in. And I think tying back to what we were talking about earlier, I think that's something that improv helps you with of like making strong choices, being comfortable with those strong choices, being comfortable to submit those strong choices, because it's real easy to be like, ah, this choice, I mean, I think it's funny, but is my agent going to like it? Am right. I going to embarrass them? Uh, did I go too far? You know, like, look, if you're auditioning for something for focus on the family, you're not going to pepper it with profanity for the sake of sure. being different. But, um, you know, there's there's appropriate, there's inappropriate. And then there's also like this is this is within the range of being wildly inappropriate, but it's funny uh, and maybe it's worth sending. So, you know. Yeah, and it's the concept of being committed that uh, it comes up all the time about improv teaching you to say yes and, but to let go of it. Like, 
you're committed enough to follow through with the part. And I feel like the at the speed at which these sessions take place, you find yourself saying yes and to so many different things in one sitting. Yeah. Um, you know, but you have to be able to let, let go of that. You know, you might say yes and to this one thing and they decide to go with something else. You know, I like that, but let's let's maybe try it a little bit more somber. And so now you're still saying yes and to the original thing, but you've toned it down and yeah. there's there's nuance to it. Now, I, I you, you brought up something and it sparked an interesting thing because the the other purpose to this podcast, besides obviously um, just gratuitous amounts of celebrity hosts or celebrity guests for me to grill uh, is this idea of demystifying some of the things that people like myself, uh, being new to this, uh, you kind of get this fantasy, this idea that you might be an overnight success or uh, the the common thing, the thread that happens through Twitter all the time is like, oh, voice acting is just talking or anybody can do that or whatever the case is. And And I've been known to think that way in the past and having tried it myself, it's been eye opening. But one of the things I love to explore is just how long it takes. Um, and, and I know everybody's journey is different, but can we talk a little bit about the starting point of your acting career to the place that you're at now? Sure. And then maybe even navigate some of like the goals that somebody in your position has now moved up to, because uh, I actually listened to your uh, most recent episode of your podcast um, oh. with, with Neil, which was yeah. just... Oh, Neil Ross is just fantastic to hear his perspective. Oh, my God. Yeah. Read his book. I mean, it's vocal recall is terrific. Oh, I plan to. It's great. There's great advice inside of it, embedded inside. And like his his he's he's a super humble guy, too. And he's like uh, it was one of the things that really resonated with me while I was reading the book and prepping for our conversation of like this guy has done all of it. Yeah. And, And that's very much what what I've kind of wanted to approach it. And part of that is by necessity. I mean, I started an on hold messaging in Toledo, Ohio. Like, I mean, that's how I got my, that was my first professional voice job. Yeah. I was produced. I mean, I mean, I, I've always, I mean, I did acting and I did acting. I acted in high school <laughs> and, uh, and you know, like I did a play in junior high and I always wanted to do it. I've always been an impressionist. I mean, ever since I was probably six or seven, I started doing impressions of cartoon characters. And I never thought that you could make make amazing money doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that would be – that meant that I needed to do animation. Um, but I didn't – there was no straight line from Grand Rapids, Michigan to, to getting there. Um, so it wasn't until – I mean, I was, I was, I was on the path of – um, I want to, I want to get behind the camera so I can figure out, so I can at least get on the set and then I can figure out how to get in front of the camera from behind the camera. So, um, my tech background has served me incredibly well. Um, and for voiceover, I think that's, that's important because a lot of folks just don't know, you know, which end of the XLR to plug into the, you know, the, the board and whether I need a board or what I need. And every, I mean, everyone's got their own skill set and, and their own place and, all that other kind of stuff. And I have, like Eddie Izzard says, I have techno joy. So I'm happy to, <laughs> uh, to, to, to figure stuff out. But anyway, uh, prior to, to doing this work, I was a multimedia producer in Perrysburg, Ohio, producing interactive training uh, for Owens, Illinois, plastic bottle manufacturing, and uh, cast myself in a training video. And we had uh, pro tools at the, at the studio. And I put myself in the microphone and Use that stuff that we recorded in there. And then every time we went to AudioCom, uh, in fact, Level 2 Audio is in Toledo and Perrysburg. Uh, Mark Ryder is still there to, to this day. It's a great studio. Mark is a terrific guy. And um, I did a bunch of spots with him, like, uh, after I got started. Anyway, um, in fact, my friend Bob, my he was, uh, he was our voice talent for most of the stuff and on-camera host, uh, God rest his soul. Uh, and we were working together and, uh, Bob came to me and was like, Hey, uh, I got a deal with Mark. Uh, if we waterproof his deck, he'll make our demo reels. <laughs> so, um, so that was what we did. Uh, my, my wife, uh, Sherry helped me select copy and, uh, all magazine ads. All my copy for my commercial reel was all magazine ads. Nice. And then, um, we, uh, we went in, we, waterproofed Mark's deck. And then we went 
in on a Saturday and he recorded us. And then I did a, I wrote a, an impressions reel for character. And then I did, and then I did this, you know, minute 20, um, spot, a series of, of commercials that Mark recorded. And that was my first reel on cassette. And then, um, we, I got that in the hands of a guy named Scott Gregory, who was another voiceover actor in Toledo, Ohio. He worked at a company, still does, I think, at a company called Business Voice. And uh, they would they would call you in, and for you know twenty bucks a script, I would come in and read, do their IVR. Thank you for calling the Binkelman Corporation. If you want to talk to human resources, press one. Talk to sales, press two. That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was that was where it started for me in terms of professional work. Anyway, prior to that, I mean, when I was a when I was a teenager and even younger, I was messing around with recording equipment, just, you know, recording my own radio shows and doing mixtapes of stuff that I liked. And then I would, my grandfather's had a, my grandfather's a pastor and he had recorded a bunch of his sermons uh, onto cassette. So whenever we would go visit them, I would go in his office and screw with his equipment. So that kind of gave me a, a working comfort with the microphone and stuff. Hmm. Um, so that was nice to have that sort of foundation there. Uh, but then I started doing commercials. I did some spots for, oh boy, like Time Warner Cable and different, you know, Buckeye Cable and different cable companies. And then I started doing some writing work for some of the ad agencies in town um, and a spot for Cedar Point. And, you know, like it was just kind of, you just build it. I, I think the important point that really comes out of that is work where you are. Like there's talent. There's a couple talent agencies in Cleveland. There's a couple in Pittsburgh. Like work where you are, man. And like there's opportunity there. If you don't have if you don't have representation, it makes it harder to get the work. But it's not like you need to, you know, listen, if you make if you make a are, are you repped? Me? No, not yet. So like so when you get your your demo reel together, 45 seconds doesn't need to be, uh, you know, brain surgery, you just want to have some nice variety based around your core voice. Like this is me being a casual next door neighbor guy. This is me a little bit more reserved, a little bit more. Uh, maybe we're doing something for the Cleveland clinic. And maybe here's a spot that's like, Oh, Hey man, come on down to the flats on Friday night because we're going to be doing a trivia contest over at B dubs, whatever. Right. So then you have like a ser a sample of this is me and different ways and how I can interpret your copy. And then, you make an MP3 of that, and you reach out to talent group if if those guys are still there or Doherty or wherever. And you're like, hey man, uh, I'm I'm in town and I'm a voice actor and I'd love to, and I'm young, uh, and and the guys that you've got are getting older, so uh, there's always <laughs> room for young, and you don't necessarily need to be you know the world's most advanced guy. You know you you learn on the job, right? right. And um and then you start auditioning. And, uh, you know, the Midwest is where I started and I, I advanced quickly because I had a, a modicum of talent, but also I was marketable. You know, uh, I was a white guy in, in the Midwest. There's yeah. a lot. And, 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 and in the industrial world, there was a ton of different industrial films. And it was, I mean, I did multiple things where it was like just extreme close ups on my hands doing preventive maintenance uh, for, for training videos. Like, yeah. there's no. There's no shame in any of that kind of stuff. Like that's the work that's nearby, but it gets you on set. It gets you in front of in camera or in front of a microphone. You work where you are. I had Chris Edgerly on my show. We were talking about that very thing. And he was like, man, I, you know, I got to Florida and I opened up the yellow pages. And sure enough, there's like two or three talent agencies in there. Like talent agencies exist in the yellow. It's not it's 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 not a mystery. It's just taking the taking the initiative to look and then reach out and say, hey, I you know, for you, like I got this podcast, I'm talking to folks, I'm educating myself on it, I got a music background. Put a reel together. You know, it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be the the latest, greatest thing. It just needs to be you, you know? And don't yeah. even worry about the production aspect of it. Once you get repped, they're not gonna be listening to your reel, they're gonna be listening to your reads. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So um, let me see. Then, then okay. So that's that's all Toledo, right? <laughs> Detroit. Uh, I get to Second City. Um, I booked my first. I, I joined the union very quickly, uh, largely because Detroit is a union city. 
So like um, to work for Ford Motor Company, GM, uh, their film production, uh, they were both SAG and after because, hey, man, it's Union Town, right? Sure. So, yeah. um, so uh, I got in Union on Billy Crystal's movie, 61. I got Taft-Hartley before on another picture, actually a film called Time Quest with uh, Bruce Campbell uh, by, directed oh, nice. by Bob Dyke. Anyway, I uh, got into that. And then uh, I was equity after and SAG before I left the Midwest um, and booked my first national TV voiceover spot in Detroit for Dodge. Hmm. I mean, when you make money that you never thought you would see uh, where you are, it changes your perspective about everything. I remember getting it from my talent agent for $9,000 one day and just I, I had to go to the theater to go to second city that night to perform. And, and my wife was, we were dating at the time and she was over and I was like, I don't know what to do with this check. Like I'm living in Hamtramck. I had this ridiculous check. I, I can't, I, I can't get to the bank. And Sherry was like, put it in the oven. So I kept the check, <laughs> $9,000 check in the end. This is after taxes and commission had been taken out. And the next day I went to the bank and deposited it and was like, Oh my God. I had no idea you could make this kind of money and um, made that kind of money. And then, you know, and then burned through it because I didn't know what to do with that kind of money. Sure. Got a new TV and bought a car and blah, blah, blah. But um, after that, I worked on main stage at Second City Detroit, wrote three reviews there, directed the touring company, taught, uh, left there, went to Second City Cleveland, you know, Carried on with on-camera and voiceover stuff, got represented by the talent group in Cleveland, and then um, performed on their main stage cast there for two reviews and taught and directed. Uh, After the theater closed on us, um, I would, you know, audition in either Pittsburgh or Cleveland or Detroit, whatever, wherever I was being sent. And then uh, we did that for about a year, and it was – I mean, it was a grind, man. It was really challenging. There just wasn't a lot of work. Um, Detroit saved me, I mean, because of the amount of industrial work that was going on up there. Yeah. Um, so then we, we ended up moving to Chicago and, um, grounded out for the first year. And then, uh, my wife got represented by formerly before it was innovative artists. It was, uh, uh, voices unlimited, uh, Sharon Watrick's outfit. And she, they took in Sherry and I was still just trying to looking for work. And I had had my old reel that I had produced over at Mark Ryder's place. Um, and uh, by now it was burned onto a CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the CD was on Linda Brasiliano's desk. And Sherry was in there one day and she was like, hey, you know, I see you have Kiff's thing on your desk. Have you listened to it? And Linda, this is in Chicago. And Linda's like, I don't, he's, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, he's all right. I don't know if I have anything I can, I don't know if I need him, you know, my roster. Yeah. And sure, it's like, meet him, just meet him. And then that same week, another actor, a friend of mine from Detroit, Peter Carey, who is also working kind of working in Chicago as well as Detroit, he was in the office. My headshot was on that demo reel. He saw it. He was like, oh, man, Kiff's great. You should bring him in. Um, so Linda was <laughs> like two, you know, two people giving me vouching for me. OK, so she called me up. I came in and read for him. Within three weeks, I booked a spot for him for Kentucky Fried Chicken. And then went about the business of trying to make as much money as I could in Chicago as our baby came. And I'll tell you, like in the in in Chicago and voiceover, uh, very quickly I made a ton of money. It was ridiculous. Wow! And it was all commercial. It was all commercial. I did a, a video game here or there. EA had a presence in Chicago, but their office closed. Mm. And then I booked uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic. Um, they did a really – I mean it's such a massive piece that BioWare made and they did a casting in Chicago and a couple of us got cast for it. Oh, um, nice. But, but the lion's share of the work in Chicago um, for voiceover was commercial. Um, so we were there for five years and um, I got uh, – I've always wanted to move to Los Angeles. I always wanted to see how high I could jump. And um, so uh, I got – I moved out here and switched talent agencies. I went to CESD about a, about a, about six weeks after getting out to Los Angeles, and um, you know, have cer- listen. I've certainly struggled, and it's it's always a challenge when you move to a new marketplace. Um, Los Angeles is a very different market because 
because you have animation and voice matching and along with along with commercial, but you've got audiobook work, you've got promo, you've got so many different things. And that's true in New York as well. But like each of the different markets has the different stuff. And I think everyone has a perception of animation being like the top of the mountain. And it's it's awesome. It is super fun. I know a lot of friends who who are really successful in it. But it's also a challenge to break in, and um, you know it's a challenge to break into anything. But you, if you if you're patient with yourself and you find your niche, and if your niche is oh I can sound like, you know for me my niche is impressions. So like most of the most of the animation work that I've done from Family Guy to Star Wars to Tom and Jerry, a lot of those characters have been well it's because I can do uh, Harrison Ford. Or um, I can do Tom Hanks. So, like, because of those impressions, that's how I was able to get into those places. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, for like, sure. Find, you find your way through it by embracing your skill set. You know, so uh, that's what uh, that's what got me where I'm at, and I still do. You know, from promo for IFC and commercials, both on camera and voiceover, and audiobooks. I've got a new audiobook coming out in a couple of weeks, and. Uh, the animation and video game stuff. I mean, it's, uh, I, I believe that it's helpful to me to be a generalist because I don't have to rely on one industry keeping me afloat. You know what I mean? Or my status, yeah. one industry. I think there's a real value of being able to like, when things are slow for on camera theatrically, it's nice to be able to have some good VO stuff happening and vice versa. Yeah. But anyway, that's kind of the that's the that's the bird's eye view of uh, of my path over the past twenty years since uh, since uh, AudioCom and on hold messaging and all that. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's quite the journey, and I, I noticed a lot of similarities between uh, your story or at least uh, your your origins and my own. Um, just mm. knowing like where we live, um, it's yeah. actually funny. My my dad is a pastor, so I, oh, I can wow. kind of, yeah I can kind of relate on that front. Yeah. Um, but uh, what's interesting is. It, so I noticed a lot of people, especially people my age, I'm, I'm just about 30 and, and I've been told my whole life like, oh, you have a voice for radio or whatever. And it's like most of the time people mean well when they say that. But I feel like a lot of people experience a sense of like false um, confidence that's added to it because of what other people say. And then they when they do attempt to explore it. Uh, they find nowadays, especially I think when people say you have a voice for radio, they're hearing like radio announcer and that's what they're thinking. And I feel like more and more these days people are looking for like that, you know, friend next door conversational piece. Um, what would you say to the, the people out there who are just getting started in this, have been told this kind of thing, but have experienced no traction in their own endeavors? Takes a minute. <laughs> takes a minute. Get good. Yeah. Get good. Yeah, listen, you 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 might be born with a beautiful voice. I mean, I had I can't tell you how many people I was working at Camelot Music, checking people out, doing pre-sales for the Lion King. How many people in line would tell me, boy, you got a great voice. You should do radio or you should do TV. You should do commercials or narration or whatever. And then, you know, it's like uh, Mary pondered these things in her heart. It's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, but but then at the same time, why ignore that and why dismiss it? Sure. Like there's there's no reason to say, oh, these people are just being kind. Why? Who does that? What a what a strange what a strange thing to say to a person. Yeah. What a strange thing in, in Cleveland, Ohio or in Youngstown or in Maryville, Tennessee. What a strange thing for someone to comment on how how your voice belongs in uh, broadcast. So like. Don't ignore that kind of stuff. If someone thinks that you've got a skill for that, then why not explore it? And maybe, and maybe, maybe you don't have the acting skill to sound like, oh, you're the next door neighbor guy. But so what? Maybe you do have a warmth, and maybe you have the ability to be an announcer. Maybe, maybe doing doing industrial training is a place for you to work. Like, why 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 shut down avenues for yourself? This business is hard enough. Why? Why be so practical that you decide, well, that's not for me because who am I? Well, who you are, you're a, hey, man, you're a child of God with a, with a skill set. Why, why, don't you, why don't you go explore it? Why don't you see what's there? The amount of resources that are available to you from online teaching to podcasts to 
D Bradley Baker's website of so you want to be or I want to be a voiceover actor.com, my podcast, Chuck and Stacy with VO Buzz Weekly, George and Dan, Mike Lenz, your podcast. Like there's so many pieces of information, so many different things that are that are available to you and and work in your neighborhood. Like, why not explore it if it's something that you're interested in doing? You know, I, I, listen, if someone said to me, man, you have very dexterous fingers. You should consider taking up knitting. I, I don't know that I would because I don't have a passion for it. But um, but if someone does, why would you say, oh, man, I, I don't know that I should be knitting. I mean, I don't know <laughs> that that's a skill I can learn. Like, why not learn something new? Yeah, I, I think – if it's something that you feel would be fun to do and you want to do it in your community or you, you know, listen, not everybody needs to, needs to sell the farm and move out to Los Angeles and try to make it big in animation. Um, sometimes that's just, that just simply isn't practical, but Hey, look, I mean, how many audiobooks are produced in Grand Haven in Michigan? Like, I mean, it's a huge audiobook production facility. Uh, they do so much audiobook work there and ACX. So you can do it on your own from home. You can, I mean, there's so many ways to be able to participate in this industry. Like I said, industrial videos and, and, uh, man, reading to the blind. I got a friend, Herb Merriweather, what he does, his niche in the, uh, in the voiceover world is he narrates movies for, for people who are visually impaired. Yeah. Like on the SAP track or whatever on, on your, you know, the, so, so visually impaired people can listen and it's not just, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger gets out of the truck and he's a Terminator. It's like <laughs> he has to find a way to put the excitement and the enthusiasm and the color and translate all that into, into the words that he's saying. Like it's, it's so cool and so vast. And yeah. if it's something you want to try, then by God, do it. Don't, don't. Don't wait. Life is not going to create opportunities for you to have the time. You'll fill time just like you'll fill storage in your apartment. So, <laughs> you know, so why not explore it? There's books and there's resources, more resources than ever. And freaking voices one, two, three and, and talent agencies in your community. Sorry, I'm ranting, but you see where no, I'm going. No, and but, I'm so. I you obviously you probably couldn't hear it, but I was smiling the whole time you were talking. I <laughs> I well, I'm grateful to to ask those kinds of questions because more often than not, I found myself laying awake at night knowing that this is something that I want to do, and yep. then questioning the very value of my own voice. You know, you you hear your own voice all the time in your head, and so you never quite think that's the voice for this thing. I think most people who who say that only do so from like confidence built from actually experiencing success and doing it. But for the most of us, you know, you hear your voice and you're like, that's what I sound like. And they, they take what people say with a grain of salt. And when you said, why would somebody say that? What, what benefit does somebody get from saying you've got a voice for radio or whatever? I mean, even in just passing moment, there was an inspiration for them to say it. And I've always felt that when, when it was said to me and, and when I hear others say those kinds of things, like, yeah, I just don't, you know, they say that, but like, I don't believe them or whatever. So many of us, I think it's just the human nature to question the value of our creation. And I, go but, ahead. I mean, I grew up under the, you know, I, 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 I grew up a, a covenant youth in the Christian Reformed Church, right? So like, and two of my grandfathers are ministers and two of my uncles and, what what my path looked like is that if you're an extrovert, uh, the path for you is probably the pulpit, yeah. either that or a teacher. And bundled with that is also this weird kind of thing about, well, you know, it's a sin to be prideful. Yeah. So, like, I, I had a certain amount of bad wiring, not bad wiring, but wiring that was like, Oh, a compliment. I don't know that I can take a compliment. It's conditioned. Yeah. You condition yourself to be afraid of being in the spotlight for that reason. Right. Because who do you think you are to elevate? You elevate yourself. Well, buddy, there's there's a room for all of us and you've been given gifts and you've been given a talent and a desire to explore it. And don't let your don't let your faith. Don't let what you've been taught or told or cautioned against to 
to prohibit you from exploring the fullness of what you're created to do. I felt that to be a real, uh, I found that to be a real stumbling block for me from, and I'll tell you, man, Los Angeles is a city that runs on one thing and it is confidence. Yeah. Confidence. And, uh, you know, what is it? It's, um, it's a Foo Fighters song. Uh, do you have blind faith or no false hope? And it's like, you have to have a certain level of faith in your skill and in yourself Mm -hmm. And, uh, and no false hope that like, I don't, I don't falsely believe me to be more than something that I, I know that I can back up the things I say. If I say, I'm going to do Tom Hanks for this thing, I can do Tom Hanks and I can deliver it. And I have confidence in that. I've had the same confidence into a commercial read. I have confidence in an animation read. I have confidence in an on-camera audition. That's, and that's something that I've earned. I've built for myself, but like, all those things aren't tied to an unhealthy narcissism or a self-elevation to a place where it's like, oh, well, he thinks he's such and such. Well, yeah, you know what? You got to a little bit. But like who doesn't? The banker, the people, a chef, all of us. Like there's – it's it's not that you're elevating yourself in a false way. It's that you're becoming the fullness of who you are. So, um, you know, I, I guess that's, that's a piece of advice that I would share too is like you know as someone who who grew up in the church and is still active in it like there's room for you in the industry and uh you know doing secular things like commercials are very <laughs> and uh but like I, I you know that's some that that was something that i had to work through because yeah. it was you know like oh if someone gives you a compliment like how do you take it that's well take it man it's a gift and, yeah. uh, you know, so that's, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's something you need to hear or someone who's listening need to hear. I just needed to say it, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, it was part of, it's, that's part of my journey too. And I've gotten to a place where it's like, I accept the fact that I'm a little bit of a narcissist and, and, uh, so that's one of my sins, uh, <laughs> but, but I'll take it and I'll own it. And, um, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not prideful. Uh, I don't boast on stuff, but at the same time, like. It, it, I'm confident in it. And that is, it's a healthy place for it to be. And it helps me continue to take care of my family and, uh, and shine. And that's our job, man. Yeah. Well, I, I honestly, I could talk all night, Kiff, but I, <laughs> I want to keep these, it's these episodes. Yeah. I want to keep these episodes kind of, uh, you know, in the hour range, but I, what sure. I always offer to all of my guests and uh, to you especially is that, uh, I would love to catch back up with you again, sure. um, at a reoccurring guest rate. I don't know exactly when that will be, but, um, I mean, I, I could literally every person I've had on this and, and you in particular, I could just, just ask you a question and let you run because you got sure. so much gold to share with everybody. And, and I'm very, very grateful for the time you've spent. Sure, man. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for, thanks for bringing me in and letting me yell at your audience for a little bit <laughs> and, and, and plug my stuff. I mean, I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to, as a, as a counterpart to, to what you're doing, if someone is listening to your show because they are interested in figuring out how to do this work, I mean, that's uh, my mission has been very much about trying to share the journey of other folks who have been figuring it out. And so I've been doing this podcast all over voiceover for the past three years, and uh, people can find it on the website all over VO or um, download the Radio Public app. And uh, and then when you listen to it, I actually get a couple pennies. Uh, so it'll nice. Of myself for myself. Uh, um, I, uh, you know, I'm paying for it. So, uh, so it's nice to be able to, uh, to make money, make a little money back. Yeah. Well, and that brings me to my next question, because obviously I'd love sure. to give you just as much opportunity to, to plug all the things that you're being, you know, oh, yeah. taking Sorry. part in. I moved no, no, no. early. I just, uh, <laughs> I just, I just cut that bit and, and trim that and move it, uh, move it back. Uh, never. I would never do that. I, I love your confidence and your <laughs> ability to push that in there. No. What else is, uh, what else is on the horizon real quick? And then, uh, if you could sum that up with, uh, how people can get a hold of you, any social media or anything like that. Sure. Well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at KiffVH, um, K-I-F-F-V-H. And then my website is uh, KiffVH.com. And there's a contact me through that. Uh, I think that's how we connected. 
Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that comes right to my email address there. Um, and uh, that's the easiest way to reach out to me or interact. Uh, those those things. And I, I got a Facebook thing, but Facebook is I use that more for uh, for just uh, you know. Uh, the personal stuff, yeah, stuff. yeah, exactly, and uh, partially because uh, of necessity, and the other part is I still haven't really figured out the fan page thing, and I, I just, it just feels gross. So, uh, so I, <laughs> um, but uh, but that's there, and then uh, stuff that I got going on, um, man. If you haven't played Spider Man for PlayStation Four, play that, um, and you'll uh, you'll you won't kill me because that's not something that Spider Man does. But you'll you'll web me against the walls and take me out of my jump packs and all that other stuff. I play the Sable Guards and that, or a bunch of Sable Guards, and that's super fun. My show, uh, I played the dad on Richie Rich on Netflix. Uh, so maybe maybe you don't know, but but your kids do, and I get to <laughs> I get <laughs> a lot of my kids, which is super fun. Um, that's still on Netflix. Um, we didn't make it for you. We made it for the kids. That's why there's jetpacks and time travel and dinosaur statues and cavemen. And it's stupid and it's super fun. Uh, and it also has very few star ratings because adults didn't like, didn't like how stupid we are, but it was fun. The kids do. Um, let's see. I'm currently doing uh, stuff for IFC and, uh, commercials are running and, um, and yeah, and then, uh, doing a lot of voice matching here and there and movie trailers and that kind of stuff. Uh, an audio book coming out very soon called Alone at Dawn, which is, uh, written by Dan Schilling. And it's the true story of John Chapman, who was a combat controller, uh, in the early days of the Afghanistan war, who just received, I was just awarded posthumously the, uh, the Medal of Honor, uh, for saving I want to say 26 men uh, on Taker Gar. It's a terrific book. Um, I narrated that, and, and um, that comes out in a couple weeks. And uh, quite a few books that are available uh, that I've narrated of all kinds of different topics and titles. Um, so if you just search for Kiff Vanden Heuvel at Amazon or on Audible, you'll find those things. And, um, and yeah, then my podcast, All Over VoiceOver. Uh, if, if people are interested, I'd Love for him to listen and check out. Had some amazing guests. And um, my agent, Pat Brady, was on a couple of weeks ago. And it's just, just so much great practical information about this business and uh, animation and what to, how to present yourself to an agent and all that stuff. And then Neil Ross and, oh man, uh, the Scott Menville episode is amazing. Chris Edgerly, Sissy Jones, and Rich Summer. Like there's, there's a ton of great uh, conversations that I think people will find a lot of great inspiration in. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, oh yeah, I'll be on baskets in a couple weeks too. And then, and that show, <laughs> uh, look for me being a, a, a jerk of a golfer. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Nice. So that's, got it. Awesome. All right. Well, Kiff, I'm going to let you go. Um, I really do appreciate your time again. And, uh, I think people are going to get a lot of really good stuff out of this. And, um, awesome. and I, I will put a link to your podcast in the show notes as well. So, oh, um, fantastic. That's great. Awesome. Uh, sweet, man. Well, again, thank you so much for having me on your show and uh, all the best to all of your listeners and stuff and uh, and have a great evening. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Duly Noted Podcast. This podcast is a member of the Duly Noted Podcast Network. For more information on the network, please visit denotedpod.com. Special thanks to our guest, as well as our producer, Brian Becker. Feel free to follow us on social media by searching Duly Noted on any platform. That's D-E-U-L-L-E-Y, Noted. To send in your questions or guest suggestions, please email us at duly.noted at gmail.com or tweet us using the hashtag Duly Noted Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and have the best day.